You're listening to the Farming Fix podcast, a podcast where I, Martin Cavanagh, speak to innovative farming people about what's new in the ever-changing industry. This week, I speak to Savannah Moyna, who is a beef farmer housing her cattle in a cubicle shed. We chat about animal welfare and why she made a switch from flats to cubicles. So, first of all, I got to sort out Savannah. Maybe everyone asks you that, and I'm asking you a really terrible question. Where did your first name come from? It's actually a local name, believe it or not. Really? It is, yes. It's a very local name. We're on the Cabin Mead border. And uh, mm-hmm. over in Mead, there was a castle called Ross Castle. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a girl called Savannah lived over in it. Mm-hmm. And then she fell in love with a fella called Orwin. But they were enemies. So they weren't supposed to see each other. Mm. So they used to see each other anyway. And they went to elope to get married across the lake. It's beside mm-hmm. Loch Sheelan. We're on the shores of Loch Sheelan. And mm-hmm. uh, the two of them were drowned in the lake, actually. And this is the story now. It's probably only a fairy tale. The two of them are buried over in Ross. Supposedly, they were buried standing up overlooking the lake so that they could keep an eye on it. So that's where my name came from. My grandmother died a month before I was born and she said it was a girl then to name it Savannah. So that's where the name came from. Yeah, it's a real unusual. I'd I'd never heard that name before. So what what a great connection with your local area and your place. It is, absolutely. Yeah, I think, Savannah, from looking at your videos and various things about YouTube and about yourself, you have a strong connection to your local place. You're very invested in it, or it appears that way. Yes. Ever since I was small, ever since I could walk, actually, from about two, I wanted to go out the yard and my grandfather wouldn't let me one day. So I, I think I might have kicked him or something so that he'd let me out. He was trying to hold me back. My father had great patience with me now, in fairness. He used to let me out the yard. He was cleaning out a shed one day or something and I wanted to help and I wanted to shovel. So we had to get the little coal shovel in by the side of the fire and put a handle in it and I had to help anyway. Good so on him. Good on kind him. Of, yeah. Kind of went on from there. So. So have you always been on the farm you're on? Is that your birthplace? Yes. Yeah. Right. My grandfather bought the farm in 1934 and uh, there was priests that owned it. They had gathered money to build a church up in Mead and they took the money and they built a house here. And they had 474 acres, I think. But they all died away uh, after evicting people off the land for once anyway. And uh, the last of them died anyway when the place went up for sale. And my grandfather was after being in the Irish army in the 20s and, and that and uh and my father's better at telling this story now than i am um, he was finished up in the irish army at that time and uh, he had lorries on the road and cie were after being established at the time mm-hmm. and uh, they were buying all the local trucks off the road there so that they could do the, all the haulage so my grandfather got 1500 pounds for his couple of trucks off the road at the time mm-hmm. and they bought this place for a thousand and fifty pounds at the time there was a house and 92 acres with it at the time. And that's how my father was actually born in the house here. So he was in 1939. So it's with us ever since anyway. Very good. What was going on in the state at that time, late 20s, 30s? Yes. God, your, yeah. your family went through all the trials and tribulations. My own grandfather actually bought the place that my brother is in now. Yeah. The farm originally it was bought just in the late 20s. And they went through all that experience of land that was being divided up and sold and kind of moved on. A yeah. lot of political upsets at that time I absolutely can brave people absolutely. to go by land at that stage you know it was and my grandmother um was kind of well she she pushed it as well because she, her family was actually evicted by these people in the mm, mm. i'm not sure what year it was i'd have to ask my father that sure. um so she thought it was great that she could actually buy back the landlord's place you know fantastic absolutely yeah, and, yeah. and so so you've been there since since you've been very young did you go off and do anything for a while or did you just always stay in the farm savannah 
Yeah, no, I went away. I um, went to Ag College in 1990. I went to Monty Farnham, but it's not too far over the road there, about 25 yeah. miles away. In 1992, then I worked for a year in Donegal. I joined the Farm Apprenticeship Scheme. I worked for a year in Donegal and I worked for two years in Cork on dairy farms. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came back after that then. And my brother was ill that time, actually. He had leukemia and... Uh, well, he passed away soon after I was finished the apprenticeship. So um, I decided I'd come home. My father was, he was, well, he wasn't even getting fed up, but the early retirement scheme was in, in progress at the time. And he decided that he'd like to take that. So that was around he, the um, 90s, wasn't it? Over 55, yeah, you could retire. Yes. Out, yeah. Mm. yeah. In 1998, I took over the farm here. My father leased it to me for 10 years and I inherited it since. Very good. Very um, good. Interesting you talk about the farm apprenticeship scheme. And there's people going to be listening to this who actually will not know what that was. In my mind, it was a fantastic way of getting people into farming, into farm management and so on. I know it was, yes. it was at its infancy. How did you find that whole experience? Did you end up living in a cold mobile home and fed gruel? Or were you, how did you find how did it you know? for you? <laughs> how did you know? Oh man, I know lots about apprentices. <laughs> no, first year I did live in a mobile home in Donegal. It was tough because it was my first year away from home as well. I was, I was only like sure. 18 or something. So it was tough enough, but I got through it anyway. And I spent the year there and uh, I moved down to Cork then. I got into a house then, it was grand. Might have had a bit of heat. No, it was fine. It was perfect, actually. It was, Good on you. Good it was, it was on great. You. It was great. And then I moved further down, more nearer West Cork then, and I'd done another year down there as well. So. Okay, so you started off there in cow country. And were you thinking yeah. dairy cows? Like, I know you're a beef farmer now, but were you ever interested in converting into dairy or...? Always thought that we might, but look, uh, I don't know. I have a graph of the beef. Graph of the beef, unfortunately, maybe. There was always thinking that you would go into it, but then we'd only, we'd only then, well, really only about 70 acres around the house there would, when they took out. There was 14 acres of just bog that's kind of idle bog, and uh, there wasn't enough. And so then there was quotas at the time and to get into it and everything. So I um, I used to work with lots of dairy farmers. I just, I liked, I liked the cows and the routine of cows and that kind of crack, you know, so... Mm. When I finished the apprenticeship and before I took over the farm, I worked with a, a neighbour down the road here for a couple of years, milking cows as well. And since that, I've worked through the farm relief there with lots of relief milking and different dairy farms. You know, so I get I get the feeling, Savannah, if someone asked you to milk a herd of cows, you wouldn't leave them stuck. No, I wouldn't. Actually, no, that would be my problem. You can get a few milking some evenings. It wasn't you get a great, few milkings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But so you've ended up, and again, looking at a bit of your history, so you so you have a significant beef enterprise. Is it all Pedery Charlais? Is that what you're doing? Yep, that's where we are at the minute. That's where we are at the minute. Um, my father started the herd in, in 1982. He bought one cow and the herd kind of developed out of that. And we used to keep heifers over the years. And we were up probably about 15, 16 cows, I'd say. And then the rest were commercial. We kept about 40 at the time. And in 2013, then we were hit with TB mm-hmm. and a very bad outbreak. And over six months, we lost the whole herd. They depopulated us there in March 2013. So we had to start from scratch again. So we had to stay out of cattle for six months. And we got back in then um, the following October, I think it was September, October. And we started off, we bought in, I don't know, was it 21 in-calf heifers and 12 maiden heifers. So the new herd kind of started from that, if you like. Okay, so so, so you sourced another group of better yeah. and you kicked yeah. off from there again. That must have been quite, yeah. that whole TV experience, and I know it's causing huge problems again. Quite a lot of people are going through very difficult experiences. Like that's a real emotional shocker when you see a herd walk up in a... Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. They went away on one Monday morning. They took everything was gone from the farm. Like the silence was something else because there was always animals on the farm. It was it was tough enough. But look at it. at the same time, it possibly was the best thing to do was depopulate them rather than be dragging on and on and on and on. Mm. You know, so we started clean again. But it, it was tough because there was breeding there since 1982, you know, and you, you've lost mm. all that, you know. 
pet cows and pet lines and pet families yes. in there. Yeah. Favorite lines and stuff, you know. If the first cow my father bought, there would have been a lot of stuff off them, you know. Mm. Look at we we moved on. But I, I was lucky in a way, my brother had a bit of land and I used to B and B out cattle for the summer months. Mm. And lucky enough, there was some in his herd at the time. And I got to keep, I think, about five heifers from the old herd set. Mm. But uh, it's still most of them are gone, you know. Most of them are gone. Okay, so you started afresh, you stuck with the Charolais, and I get the sense you're producing a bunch of breeding bulls every year, and then you have a certain amount of commercial stock that end up at the factory. Is is that the yeah. process? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I, I kind of pick the best bulls, well, what I think are the best bulls, and maybe sell 12 to 15 bulls per year, usually. And up to now, we've been keeping our heifers for breeding, just to get the numbers up, because we're kind of aiming for 80 cows. So the last couple of years, we've made 80 anyway. So I, I'm starting to sell a few heifers now as well. So hopefully down the line, we'll be able to sell heifers and bulls. And okay. uh, Question, how are you finding the trade for Pedery Charolais bulls? Uh, it's okay now. It's okay in the last couple Good. of years. It depends. Like, what I, I don't put massive amount of um, meal and stuff into my animals. Mine is a grass-based system. So whatever they do off grass and they get meal over the winter, all right, a couple of kilos of meal. And I feed arable silage that we grow a bit of arable, oats, peas mm. and barley silage there and... and give a mix of that and they're not pushed to the limits I don't go to sales or shows uh, I just would have time and I suppose I would have some stock that would be fit for that but uh, we didn't get down that road yet um, okay, so I'm here so, on my own most of the time so it's okay. hard to get time for that so you must have a nucleus of guys come back to you and they're looking for yep. particular yeah yep. okay really only advertising the local paper and the ICBF um, stock bull finder I got a good few calls off that there in the last couple of years so I have all my bulls and all my herd is genotyped and uh, all your stock bulls go up on the ICBF bull finder, then stock bull finder. And uh, they're all listed on that. So I suppose people are looking for different lines and different breeding. And it's, uh, it's a good outlet to see them all on the one page, you know, you can compare them. And I suppose if the, they look as good, then when the man comes to look at them or whatever, it's always helpful to have good stock to go with the figures as you. Exactly. Look, I mean, you're matched on paper, but what I think is interesting in, in what you said, even by, you know, grass, feed and arable silage and so on, low quantities of meal, you have a very fit animal. You know, in yes. that situation, you're really looking at an animal that can go and work in a farm, a good yes. working stock bull. Yep. Yep. And that's the fellas that come here want easy calf and, and a bull that will work and fit to work, you know, good mobility and what have you with them, you know. And that kind of brings yeah. me on to something. It's really like the body weights, the size of these animals that you're actually dealing with. I mean, some of your cows are a ton. They must be. Yes. The heaviest cow, I think, is 980 kilos. That's there. Um, they'll grow into massive animals. She'd be uh, about a fourth calver now. First year there, they'd be about 600 to 650 kilos. And then they'd mature into the 900, 900 a ton weight. So they're quite large. They're quite large. What age and weights are those bulls that, that you're hanging on to? Like, Yeah, I'd be selling them about 15, 16 months old, in around that year, up to 18, 20 months. Um, they'd be up to 750 kilos now. And that, they wouldn't be pushed at that now. Hmm. Um, if you got them away, I suppose about 14 months at about 600, 650 kilos, something in around that. I suppose, look, some of the practical issues for you, and I know from my own experience as a vet, and I remember going to a couple of Pedery Charlie herds, and we'd often see the phone ringing in the middle of the night, going, oh my God. We're going out to have to do a section on one of these big, yeah. big ladies and everything is just super sized. Handling these animals. I know you, you you imported a particular crate. How do you find handling and managing these animals? What do you do that's different about it? I'm here on my own most of the time. So I came across uh, at the plough in one year, I came across a cattle master crush came in to parry make them from us, mm. New Zealand. Mm. And the man I was talking to is Peter Sherlock, is his name. He brought in the first crush that I seen at the plough and match I bought. It was the first one he had brought into the country. I know, I just, I liked it. It's a standalone crush. 
it had all the doors open on each side of it. It had a fantastic head catching gate, which is hard enough to get, especially for suckler cows, because they're all different sizes going up the crush. And like if you get one, some of the, the gates don't close properly because their head is too big. And then some of them heads are not big enough. And then they're going out through the crush on you or got out stuck in the gate or something. So it was one of the better ones I've seen. So. I bought it then, and in about four or five years after that, I came across the one I have at the moment is a Cattlemaster Titan Crush. It has a squeeze on it, and it has an anti-backing bar. It has a kind of a vet gate at the back of it that you can swing the gate around at the bottom, and you can handle your cows. It's very easy to handle them for AI, for, I don't know, for the scanning man, any, any of that kind of stuff. The bottom doors open on it separate. You could feed a calf in it if you had to. The anti-backing bar, I use it when I'd be drying off cows. I do use teat sealers on cows there. So whenever I put them on them, I, I won't get walked on any of them. They won't reverse back on top of me. I think one thing I see, and we're talking a little bit, I suppose we're getting towards talking a little bit about welfare and handling. And you're operating on your own with big animals. A, you've got to be safe. B, yes. they have to be safe. Because if one of those ladies goes awkwardly with you and challenges you, there's not too many places to go with them. But also the ability to do things with animals that doesn't hurt them or doesn't impinge them as well. I mean, putting teeth sealer into sucker animals, that would not be a usual occurrence. What led you down that road? Over the years, look, you'd get cows get mastitis. We, we used to bed them. Well, we used to have them on the slats, say. Mm. And uh, look, the odd one would pick up mastitis because you never gave them anything. So when they stopped sucking, then they were bound to pick up. Do you know the slats were dirty? No matter how clean they were, they were dirty. So sealing them, I'd say, this seven or eight years now. I started using it and it, it's very simple. I know it, it's an expense that a lot of people probably can't afford as far as that goes. But, you know, a cow with three teats is no good to your two teats. So it saved an awful lot of them now. It saved an awful lot and, of them. And I suppose, and maybe this is a comment and you can correct me on this, Savannah, but if I'm looking at Pedery Charlais, they're not renowned for their milkiness. If you're missing a teat out of them, it's a disadvantage. Yes. Am I right saying that or am oh, I breaking it? Yeah, maybe a bit, maybe over it a bit now. Okay. Uh, the cows I have now have there are plenty of milk. They've lots of milk okay. actually. Um, okay, the, the lines I'm breeding would have milk anyway. Mm. So, but at the same time, you'd be better off drinking four quarters than three. Fair you enough. know. So. Yeah, yeah. And that's great that you're yeah. getting those type of lines. The problem that we see, particularly in calf health and so on, with Pedri yes. Charlotte, just not enough milk. So you're betting you move from slats. My understanding is then you, have you moved to a cubicle system? Are you on a loose house system? What sort of system are you are you using to keep those cows? A uh, cubicle system now. We were a few years gathering up information on what type of a shed we were going to build and we were going to bed it and we we're going to mm. bed the cows and then the calves would be in a separate area. We said, you know, bedding is too expensive and, you know, it's hard to keep 80 cows bedded or 10 cows even. So we decided on a cubicle shed. So we put up a 96 cow cubicle shed with two tanks in it. So we put in the easy fix cubicles and mats. The cubicles are in at 48 inch centers okay. because the cows are quite large and the cows are that size of it. Now, the in-calf heifers and stuff are a wee bit smaller, but the cows are the size of the cubicles. When you see them lying down at night, they're the full of it. So they are, you know, but there's okay. great flexibility in them. And I don't have any injuries with the way they move when they lie down. And another one just kind of pushes the, it over to a little bit at the side. If that was a steel one, she'd probably end up with lots of bruising and stuff. You know, it suits the big cows. You know? Yeah, and, and I can see if you've got those you know, seven, 800 kilo cows that go into a steel cubicle system, you're going to end up with a lot of broken cubicles and possibly broken cows. Yeah. Like four foot yeah. center for a cubicle is very wide. These are very, very big ladies. So that, that was a bit of a departure to go down cubicles. Do you find you can keep them cleaner in that system? Is there benefits with a cubicle system of the sucker? Yeah, serious clean altogether compared to the slats because they're lying the slats that just kind of gather muck all around their underbelly and down their, their hocks and down even up their tail ends everywhere. But in the cubicles, they're unreal clean. So they are. They're unreal clean. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we again, we find, I suppose, when we look at calf health in, in suckler systems, one of our biggest issues is that often the first meal the suckler calf has is manure. They're sucking off the side of mum. The tail is dirty. The flanks are dirty yes. and so on. And we've difficulty yeah. controlling the rotavirus and crypto and so on and so on in them. Calf health for you, I mean, do you think things like that make a difference to you? Absolutely. No, we tip the cow's tails going into the shed. And if the bags are kind of hairy or dirty, they're clipped. But we have brushes in the shed, you know, the Delaval brushes, the That's automatic right. brushes. Yeah. It keeps the top end of the body fierce clean with them as well. So it does. Mm. And they spend, I put cows and heifers in the other day, they spend nearly 24 hours under the brush. There's a competition to who gets there first. Very good. It seems to me, Savannah, very, very forefront to your mind is... And I'm going to use the term welfare for the animals, this level of care. This is not usual in terms of, I suppose, our approach to beef cattle and often on many cases dairy cattle. You're really interested in this. What's driving you with this? Look, I'd like to have a healthy herd, really. We had a few problems with a few different things on the farm. We ran into a BVD problem. I never had BVD on the farm mm. until about about five years ago. I lost nine calves with BVD. Okay. I don't know where it came out of, and I still don't know where it came out of. Anyway, I had to vaccinate for BVD, lepto, IBR. That's actually all, them, them three. But I like to have a healthy cow. There's enough of them to keep you busy without having ones that are sick as well. I know you will have sick animals, but... You know, mm. you have to spend half a day there with a calf because he didn't get enough colostrum or something, you know, if he gets a scour and then he die on you or whatever. But then shed is dirty and the shed needs to be, you know, if, he, if he's in a pen, that needs to be cleaned out and washed out as well. So like, it's all work. So we try and keep it as healthy as possible. So the benefits you see and put it like using a brush, building that purpose built house for them, you know, a 96 cubicle house for beef cattle, that's a significant investment. It is. You know, in, in terms of their accommodation, in terms of their environment. Would you go back? Would you regret that spend? How do you feel about it? No, absolutely not. It's the best shed. Can't find any fault with the shed. So I can't. I just can't find any fault with it. Uh, we have a creep area one end of it. There's two pens, separate pens. It's split in four, my shed. There's 24 cubicles in each quarter, say. Okay. And then the two quarters down one side with the creep area, they do the cows for after calf and say the autumn calvers and early spring calvers. They're split in two separate groups. And then them calves can go outside to a wood chip area just to keep them fresh and healthy as well. So there's four areas, these creep areas. And one of yeah. them is wood chip. Have you straw in those creep areas as well for calves? Yeah, we bed them with straw. And then every day we have a straw chopper. I give them a light bed with straw every day, just a, maybe a quarter of a bale, but it just fluffs up the bed and it keeps them clean and, and keeps the bed very fresh. Okay. Have you had any issues with pneumonia with those young calves in that shed? Or how do you get on with that? How's the general calf health in there? Calf health is very good. The first year I hadn't vaccinated the calf for uh, pneumonia. Now I have ever since. Um, I, I give them an intranasal shot up the nose. They are give them two of them before they get into the shed, and I have absolutely no issues with it at all. Okay. A lot of animals in the shed, and they're sharing a lot of air. But it is a very airy shed at the same time. It's a okay. fifteen degree pitch on it, so it, it's a high shed. Okay, and that fifteen degree pitch is really giving you opportunity to get that warm stale air out. Like yes. Did you find the shed a cold shed? Did you find it a warm shed? It, do you feel yourself it's a comfortable environment when you're walking through it for the animals? Yes, definitely not stuffy and it's not warm, you know, and there's a, one side we have windbreak on one side and it gets nice fresh air in through it all the time. It's fresh in the shed, you know, it's never stuffy and it's never smelly, you know. Uh, and do you still use the slats for any animals or? I keep small heifers in it and maybe a few bulls there I keep in it, that's all. Yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah. the other thing I noticed you doing on one of the videos, they showed a video of you dehorning a charlotte calf very expertly. And the crush was great, like this huge crush that's built for cows. And the calf is really comfortable in that scissors gate. I think the scissors gate is, yeah. is, is really, really, really ideal. Pain relief 
for animals and using local. Like we, we have people listening again and probably, you know, they wrestle with the calves and they might burn off horns and so on without using pain relief. What's your view on, on all of that? What do you think, Savannah? I prefer to use the pain relief because a calf never forgets. So he doesn't, funnily enough, if you, if you dehorn him when he's five or six weeks old, he'll remember you forever. I normally dehorn calves possibly only a week or 10 days old. Sometimes I try and get them done before they go out. So I'll give them that local anesthetic in the head there. And uh, they don't remember it. They just, they look sleepy afterwards, in fact. But the pain is gone. Then I, I just put a bit of alamycin spray or aluminium spray. But years ago, we used uh, dehorn when they were a lot older. And she'd be trying to tie them up in the corner of a yard or something. And she'd crash. They'd, they'd remember everything, do you know? Because uh, it's not fair on them when they're big anyway, and they were never any anaesthetic given to them over the years until the last six or seven years there I started using it. There's a lady called Temple Grandin. I don't know if you know Temple Yes. Grandin. And I was interested when you're talking about the squeeze and the shoot. That's it's so important. And Temple is, is a lady, she has autism, and she recognized the importance of that squeezing to get the comfort, get the endorphins going to relax an animal. And maybe you found that when you actually give them a squeeze and a shoot like that, those animals can often settle down and relax. Oh, they can, yeah, they can. Once they can't go flailing about the place, you know, it's the way moving over and back and things banging off them then, you know, they bang off the side of the crush and it fights them to the other side and they bang off that side again. So it definitely, definitely made a difference in them. Are you able to narrow in that crush enough, even when you've got a small calf in there, can you reduce the space yes. in the width? Yes, it goes in, it goes into about, I suppose, a foot and a half wide. Yeah, even the baby calves wow. can't move around them and so, yeah. And you can pretty much then do the whole operation on your own in the sense of yes. a calf get in, get the head in through the scissors gate, squeeze them yeah. in, off you go. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. It's very good that way, so it is. There's another little thing we're looking at. If you look at some of the research around dehorning, giving an anti-inflammatory injection around the same time, something like your Ketofen or your Loxicam, I'm not saying particular brands, but those yes. types of anti-inflammatories, the effect of that and the local anesthetic has a huge positive impact for the calf. Yeah. It's adding a, a few more twitches, but I think there's even another yeah. step we can go. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I just I haven't I haven't gone down that road yet, but um, it's something to look at in the future. All right, yeah, definitely. There you go. And again, probably talking about the pain thing. Do you end up having to castrate any animals from the farm or? Uh, no, actually, no. I'd I'd sell any extra bull calves as weanlings if I wasn't keeping them. I'd normally sell them as weanlings. Um, I might possibly keep them now um, and castrate them and keep them as bollocks for the next couple of years. All right, because we've a bit too much grass at the moment and around the place. Okay, well, that's good. It's been a good, <laughs> not a bad complaint. It's been an ideal grass growing year for you. Absolutely, oh, it's fabulous. Well, there's 14 in calf heifers and, and 16 dry cows in. That's it. The rest are all out grazing. Looking ahead in your crystal ball at the future, yeah. Where do you want to be in five years' time or 10 years' time? What would you hope to get out of it? I understand your, your husband is away in Saudi with dairy cows. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope that we'd be able to have 80 of the best cows that we could have that will calve every year, feed their calves, be able to sell in-calf heifers off them, sell bulls for breeding. If you sold 20 bulls and maybe 30 bulls, depends on how the suckler thing is going to go, whether people are going to stay in suckling or not. It's hard to say. Suckling is hard work, you know. It's actually harder than dairy farming, I think. Well, it depends on the effort you put into it, but... For me here, I'd probably milk 80 milking cows easier than I would have 80 suckler cows, you know. But I like yeah. the beef breed. Yeah, I often wonder, I remember, and again, working with, with beef animals, like a suckler calf that gets scour at two or three weeks of age and you're trying to deal with it with its mum and all the rest mm-hmm. of it is, there's a fair amount of work in that if you get a couple of them together. There is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just sort of, are you using all AI there? Or are you? Um... Yes, we use all AI. I do my own AI, so 
it's worked out very well so far. I use about a straw and a half per cow, which is not too bad. It's not too bad. Well, that's fantastic. That's not not yeah. too bad. That's fantastic, yeah. Savannah. Yeah. Heat detection yeah. wise. So you're looking at your suckers. How are you heat detecting those girls? Oh, I uh, tail paint them, and uh, sometimes there might there might be a small bull calf out there that will keep an eye on them as well. Okay, but they normally very show very strong signs of bulling, so they do. Okay. Because uh, okay. I'm eight eight days into AI now since I started uh, for the autumn ones now on a ten AI. So. Okay. And do you practice anything like you know moving uh, taking the calf away from mum for for a period of time? to induce heat or is there anything in particular you do or you just let them come uh, no come just let them come naturally no it, it depends I, I've tried to calve in two 12 week blocks now <laughs> well I always finish the end of March because I need a couple of months off anyway okay. but they'd be calving from the 1st of August until about the 1st of October you'd be hoping to calve a good lot of the autumn months there'll always be a few stragglers in between but right. um, try then start sort of the end of December beginning of January then as well and then finish the end of March so between the both of them, you're AI in probably for the 12 weeks or your calf for 12 weeks. So there's not that much breaks in between, you know. I understand. But it's a fair achievement to be detected at that level with that yeah. number of animals. Yeah. Because if you have, I, I don't know, how many would you calve in the autumn? 40, 40, yeah. You know, to, to see animals bullying with 40 animals calving over a spread and to get them back into the yeah. system in time. Like, how are you running in terms of, like, are you getting back in at the year? Is it 380 days? Is it 400 days? Uh, how are you doing I have an interval. It's three seventy days. Yeah, three seventy, three seventy five. Yeah, you know that. It's it's pretty good. No, I I would cull heavily as well. I don't normally carry over cows because they're nearly too fat. Then by the time the calf down, you know the calf would be weaned off them and they'd be nearly too fat. But um, when you have numbers, yeah, I suppose you can you can cull that bit more as well. You know, look at it. They're fairly healthy. I think that's a lot to do with it. That's a lot to do with it. When I dry up my cows as well, I give them a bolus, a mineral bolus there, or them all trace bolus or some of those. Mm. A couple of years ago there, it was one of the, dry, in 2018, I think it was the dry year, and I didn't give them any boluses and stuff, and Cricky had an awful bother with cows calving in the autumn. They just, I don't know, they just just weren't opening up right, and they just weren't calving right. So since I started using the, the bolus there, the, it made all the difference. And keep them fit and keep them, feed them hay there for a month or six weeks before calving as well. Try and keep them thin. But they like their grub. Yeah, look, and there's real, it's interesting that even, even those figures, when you're talking about one and a half, draws for per pregnancy that sort of calving interval you know being pretty ruthless on, on the culling and not getting obsessed with oh she's a good cow i'll keep running her through yes. it really strikes me you've really nailed a lot of the efficiency issues there savannah is there anything you'd like to make better or more efficient there is there any figure you're looking at in particular that you'd like to improve not really if i can keep it at that i'll be doing well I keep it at that and, and uh Try and get them out maybe a bit earlier in the year. It's hard with the look at the depends on the weather as well. But uh, no, last spring was a tough enough spring now. They didn't get out till kind of March. And, and uh, you just, I'd hope even in January that you get some cows out and, and spread them around over the farm. And you know, they're still healthier outside. You'd be feeling sorry for calves and standing outside and should they be hiding under bushes and stuff and there wouldn't be a bother on them, you know? That's it. And mom's going <laughs> to mind them anyway. She's certainly going to get on the windward side oh, of them yeah. pretty easy, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I suppose coming from down south, our association in your area would be that you'd be back a couple of weeks later. So the fact of being able to get out those heavier animals, get them out and get them spread out in the farm is a great achievement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially cows after calving. Now, I, I wouldn't mind so much, especially spring, try and get them out straight away. It gives them a far better start because when you start leaving calves in, in sheds with older animals and stuff and, and even just mixing them around, I wouldn't, I'd be nearly running out of space at that stage, so... The new shed is fine for the autumn calves, but I wouldn't fit the spring ones in it as well, if you know what I mean. So better to get them out if you can. 
down the line, maybe of doing more autumn calving because, you know, if you can have a lot of them in August there, you have a good strong calf coming into the shed. He's sort of motor away, you know, all the diseases and stuff, you know, scours and pneumonias and stuff should be nearly gone with them. And does that help selling at the other end that they're a little bit more agey when they hit that spring period or is yes. that a yeah. Okay. No, it's fine because we'll look at if, if you have a bit of both, it's fine as long as you have a, a couple of bulls around it all year round, mm. sort of, you know, to suit some people, want them different times of the year. But mm. yeah, if you had your, you have a super strong bull come February of the following year, about, I suppose about 18 months or whatever, you're doing better to sell a good strong bull at that stage, you know. I think it makes a difference with those guys too, those beef breeds, when they get that opportunity to mature that a little bit more. Oh, yeah. It does know, make a difference. Yeah. It's amazing what they grow between a year and 18 months, actually. It, yeah. it, you'd see the difference in them from sort of baby looking to, you know, bull looking. And again, it's back to your principle of keeping them fit. We used to often see those pedigree bulls coming to us. And again, from a veterinary point of view, they come in soft on terrible small feet. They're just yes. too young, too grown, you know, really yeah. pushed hard. So they actually come in They've got baby legs and a big body stuck on top of them. They just don't yeah. seem to do the business, you know? Well, they just, they can't, st- they can't hold themselves up, you know? They can't hold themselves up, so. Mm. Um, my weanlings there at the moment now, I just started feeding a meal in the last sort of week there, but they're, the heaviest of them is 450 kilos. That was off grass and milk, you mm. know, at yeah. seven to nine months. So it's, it, look, at, if you put on a kilo and a half off grass there, it's, it's for the year, it's not too bad. It's interesting. I did a little bit of work abroad in some of the northern European countries and they were looking at the Irish beef system. And there was quite a bit of criticism about the way we house animals in the winter period and so on. And actually, your system, I must admit, leans very much like some of the European systems I would see where they use a lot of straw bedding. They use a very high comfort. And I'm not not guys who who are using different systems here. It's very much a different approach. Where would you see, like with beef farmers in general, working with suckers, is there any way we can create that incentivization to just improve those sort of housing conditions to give those better optics on our cows? Or do you think that's necessary, Savannah? And I'm not looking for, we're not looking for a political answer here. I'm just interested that you've gone very much that way, high welfare system. Yeah, well, look, at if I put in slats only for them cows, I don't know what size of a slatted shed you'd want, to be honest with you, because them big cows of my own in a 15 foot 9, 12 foot 6 slat area, five cows is all I'd fish, five Charlie cows. Like, I mean, you'd want an awful size of a, a slats to put 80 cows on. I don't think it'd be viable at all, you know. Um, and now I'm saying that the new shed was is an expensive piece of kit as well, but mm. it suits the system we have. Now, a lot of people would only have 20, 30 cows, so they'll fit fine on slats or whatever. A lot of fellas would calve in the spring then. I suppose they put their cows out after calving anyway. So it's really only winter. Like most of them wouldn't be suckling off the slats anyway, you know. And I think that's an important distinction. And often people from Europe don't understand that we actually have, you know, quite seasonal. We have cows on slats at particular times. Our system is really geared towards getting animals out grazing and so on. But definitely, I think with those big animals that, that you're dealing with, that high level of comfort seems to be really rewarding you well. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It is, is right. Look, the cubicle shed was the best thing we built around here. But then if we were back to 40 cows again, maybe maybe a slatted shed would have done fine with a creep area at the back, you know. When you have bigger numbers and, and for the amount of cows we have and the size of them and everything, we thought we'd better go for some bit of comfort with them, you know, and try and get sort of a bit of exercise in the cubicle shed because in slats, they'll just stand up and lie down. There's no place sort of to move around at all. In the cubicle shed, there's a small bit of walking anyway. It keeps them a little bit fitter than the slats would. It's terribly yes. important. And it's yeah. really important also I think for cows and mature animals, they can get away from each other. They're not necessarily all friends. Is that a reason? Oh, that's for sure. (laughs) There's a lot of dislike there. So there is. There's an element of dislike. Yeah. (laughs) And and animals do need, they need to actually have room 
to avoid each other because yes. when we have dominance and with hierarchy going on, I'm sure you really see it with those cows that you've got ladies yeah. out there that just take no crap, you know? Yeah, and even in the cubicle shed, then one might take it an offence to another cow and Lord, she would do laps around the shed after her. Do you know? That's right, that's right. Yeah, and, yeah. and she'd often try and reverse into the cubicle then the other one would come and push her out of the way as well. So like just with, with, with the easy fix cubicles, they're way more flexible for the likes of that as well. Even cows bullying, if, if a cow goes up in, in the yeah. cubicle and a cow trying to jump on her, then do you know she won't break her leg by hitting it off a steel cubicle. Like there's fierce flexibility in them, so there is... Is all the floor area slatted or have you some concrete area there as well? No, I have two tanks in it. Yeah, and I have a lovely scraper then that keeps the passages clean for me. So there's two tanks in it. It's hard to explain it. It was up in Agriland there uh, last April, yeah. I think, April 20. I don't know, did anybody see that? But, um, yeah. If you look yeah. back on that, you'll find it up on it and plans of what it looks like as well. Uh, so the two tanks, it's on access into the cubicles. So Yeah, I understand. The Lely Scraper, and again, look, more companies, another plug, but I find it really interesting. It's something that I really am fond of. I have a belief that robotic scraping can really keep the floor dry. Is that your experience of them? How do you feel about that robotic scraper? Yeah, we toyed with the idea of the steel, you know, the hydraulic mm. scraper or the rope scraper or whatever. But mm. look, you've cows standing on a passageway there and scrapers going up and down. It bangs off their feet and bangs off their legs and it rattles and makes a lot of noise. There's none of that with the Lely scraper. And there's a great rubber on the Lely scraper. So it kind of it keeps the floor very, very clean. You'd never get it that clean with a steel scraper. You know, you wouldn't eat your dinner off it, but it keeps it very clean. It goes four times a day. Each passage goes two to four times a day. It depends on the milking cows go a bit more often than the dry cows. Say they only need a couple of scrapes a day, but it does keep them very clean and it keeps their feet quite clean as well. They're not standing in muck because the lelly pushes all the muck into the slats. I know with the steel scrapers that it leaves it kind of in a, a pile there at the slat. So they're kind of walking on slurrying as well, which is not ideal either, mm. you know. Any trouble with lameness in the herd? I have a small bit of trouble with uh, digital dermatitis. Okay. I, I'm not sure where it came from. But anyway, we, we foot bath there once a week. That's interesting because yeah. generally when we see digital dermatitis coming in, probably have bought it in. And from our experience of dealing with it, because it's cycling every seven to eight days, if you are having trouble, we probably would say you need to up your foot fat rate as in twice a week, maybe three times a week, yes. getting under pressure with it. But yeah. that whole combination of space, dry floor, keeping the feet out of moisture, moisture, yeah. moisture, 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 creates a problem for us. It does. And then look, at they're very heavy cows. We often just get bruising and stuff with them as well now. And, and it sometimes, look, it can turn into infections or whatever. But you're talking about heavy cows if they were bullying or something. They can just get small bit lame after bullying or whatever. But they normally would get my hoofman out there if, if there's any problems. We, we get him out regular enough too. If, if there's any problems, I don't do any hoof trimming myself. So, Savannah, say now, I could probably find about 40 dairy farmers who'd employ you in the morning as a manager. Your attention to detail, <laughs> even talking to you is very significant, let alone managing a beef enterprise with great efficiency. I'm so impressed with your approach to welfare and your approach yeah. to the cows. I think the reward you're getting back from those cows is immense. I certainly hope that the financial reward you get back from the cows will be enough you know, in the future for your spend. But I think you've been brave is even the wrong word because it's against the flow for you to do what you've done with those cows. Uh, in sense, we are advised to cut costs and you know, so on. Yeah you're seeing the benefits of it do you feel the reward of it every day yeah no definitely i do since we started doing you know even even the foot pattern and the, the teeth seal and all those all those kind yeah. of things it just saves a lot of hassle down the line so it does you know and i probably learned a lot of that from the farm apprenticeship scheme the attention to detail kind of stuff you know 
Because uh, if you did it wrong, you want to get you get a bit of a given out type. You're hunted back to the mobile home. Yes, exactly. exactly. Should, actually, you know what? There's a reasonable question for you. Should that apprentice scheme be brought back? Should we have that again? I wouldn't think yes. I have to say, now at the time, look, you always thinking, oh, no, though I was hard done by and I shouldn't have, you know, they were yeah. treated like this and that and the other. But no, I do think so, because I do think going away and learning something, having to live away from home, mm. I think it makes a big difference anyway, you know. Mm. Look, at on-farm experience is the best way to learn anything. So it is. You can look everything in a book. The more than any any job, like nurse or any of them, like unless you go on the wards, unless you go out on the farm and start doing stuff yourself, it's hard to know how to do stuff. You know, it, it's totally different to do it than looking at it in a book and saying how you should do it, you know. It's great to talk to a farm apprentice, one of the originals of the species, right? If I had my way, I'd make you an ambassador for cow welfare. Fair juice to you. Thank you. I, absolutely. Yeah. But it's something that we need a lot more conversations about. I think the benefit yeah. of it to everybody and even nationally or image and so on, I, you know, I think I think it's enormous. And I think the animals reward you. I love your comment is that they remember it. If you do something to them, they will remember it. I know that from being a vet. If you treat a particular cow and you come across her a year later, she'll know you. She will absolutely know you if if you've nailed her, you know. (laughs) Savannah, we're going to end our chat on that note. It's been a pleasure. And if I'm ever up in your direction, you're definitely giving me a cup of tea. I want to go. Oh, absolutely. Call anytime. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Farming Fix podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review, rate us, and don't forget to subscribe. Thanks very much.